welcome to a very special episode of Gamers on the Go. I'm your host, Chase Kennecke. Today we are talking about Nick Sutner, and I found just the man for the job, Nick Sutner himself. Hi, Nick. I know a lot about Nick Sutner, I gotta say. <laughs> you know, I would, hope, I would hope you would be the authority <laughs> on all Nick Sutner-related matters. It would be really weird if someone else would be the authority. <laughs> maybe, maybe, like, your parents? Maybe. Nah. Not, not even, not even that much, though. I'm sure. Maybe until I was like, like I don't know, like six, they knew more about me than I knew about me. But then I think it starts to go the other direction. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, so I'm, I'm very excited. This podcast has been years in the making. Um, totally. Well, I super appreciate you having me on. Uh, this is really exciting. And I was trying to think, where did we first meet? By the way, we met at PAX East. Oh, goodness. 2014, 2013, okay. I, I do like remember that. meeting you there. I, just, I forget if that was the first time we met, but I guess it was. So we, we met, uh, it was my first PAX East, which was uh, like just, for me, pretty crazy of, oh my God, look, look it was my first video game convention. Nice. So like my eyes are open to like, wow, look at all the stuff that's here. Um, and we come down the, the escalator, and I'm with a couple of my buddies, and the first two people I see are Nick Sutner and Shane Bettenhausen. And I go, oh, hang on. What's, what's going on here? I know these people. Uh, so you were like literally the, the first you, thing I saw. I like the idea that you like turned around mid-escalator and ran up the down escalator and showed people <laughs> out of your way. <laughs> I assume that's what happened. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, uh-huh. that, that's probably how it worked out. Um, so, so that was great. We talked uh, about Vita stuff then. I, uh, I'd either just gotten a Vita. I don't remember. Maybe that was before... So that was that was pre podcast. Yes, that was definitely pre podcast. Okay. Um, but yeah, we. And then the the crazy thing was, as I was leaving to go back to St. Louis, we found each other again at the airport. That's right. <laughs> and and I think I was just sitting there, and you came up, or uh, the other way around. I don't remember. But I was like, oh shit, there's Nick Sutner <laughs> uh, yeah, again. Uh, flying so out that, of PAX always tends to involve some, like, delay hijinks, so it always makes for, like, a nice window of time to run into more people before you leave. Absolutely. I, I've met I've met a decent amount of people that way just in the airport, like uh, Drew Scanlon, formerly of Giant Bomb, and, and Jared Ray, who was at Twitch, nice. uh, or still at Twitch, uh, and then Gio Corsi, so the last one that I went to. It's like, oh, hi, Gio. Excellent. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> So yeah, pretty cool. Uh, that I mean, that's why I like going to PAX uh, in general, just to to see people. Like I can get all the news stuff, I can hear people tell me how games play, but it's really to see people, to see friends, and then to see people you don't normally get to see. Um, it's a good, it's a good show for sure. Um, so yeah, we've been we've been trying to make this happen for a while. You uh, you at the time were with Sony, um, and that's why we were talking about Vita stuff. Uh, and you kind of got me into the Vita. I had a Vita beforehand. I had a friend who who got me in by playing Sound Shapes. I was actually playing Sound Shapes on the PS4 and went, "This is really fun." And it's also on Vita. Okay, that's now I need to get a Vita. Um, and after that, I think I uh, was talking to you about how expensive memory cards were, and I didn't even know what games to play. And you kind of you were gracious enough to to give me the list and kind of open my eyes. Um, and and that's how I started playing Persona Four Golden. And then awesome. kind of the rest was history after that. Excellent. Um, well, happy to be uh, happy to be a positive part of your Vita history. Definitely, i I have found I have found your recommendations to be uh, to be some of the most um, influential for me. Um, I've played a lot of Drop Seven, which I'm pretty sure oh, was something that, that you tweeted about a long time <laughs> that, ago. I played that. That makes back me in very happy. Yeah, uh, I think I, it's uh, maybe still the best iOS game. I totally agree. It's I had a, a, des- a deserted island games podcast on another show that i do and that was like top of the list like i already played this game at least once a day so yeah i could see myself being on an island just playing drop seven yeah i mean um, you go crazy pretty quickly but it would be you know it'd be a, a blissful crazy <laughs> you start um, talking to the numbers because each each actually <laughs> it, so it's interesting i think it was i hope i don't get this wrong but i think it was asher volmer who's the creator of threes yeah. uh, great dude mo, you know mobile designer i think it was him recently <clears throat> excuse me recently tweeting about how how brilliant it was and how it's like his favorite game ever and he talked about how the different uh numbers have different personalities which i thought was really brilliant oh, and, and it's wow. suddenly true because when you get them in, in different situations each one has like a different feeling to it because there's <laughs> certain like you know uh, freedoms or stresses associated with it 
Wow, I screwed up. This podcast should not be about Nick Sutner. This podcast should, be should just seven. be about Drop 7. That's, well, you got, that, yeah, you got two huge. This is the Drop 7 fan cast. Two we'll, we'll, get, here. we'll get Frank Lance from the yep. NYU Game Center in here, and then we'll just we'll have fun. And Absolutely. then maybe like somebody from Zynga can come in and ruin the podcast for us. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's, that's a deep cut. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's interesting coming from Asher because, I, I mean, I see a lot of Drop 7 in threes, and especially when it comes to numbers with their own personalities, that is exactly what that game's all about. Totally, yeah. He took it literally. Very cool. Uh, awesome. Well, okay, let's let's focus back in. We're talking about Nick Sutner, not Drop 7. I'm, I'm no Drop 7, <laughs> but I, I guess I mean, we can move on. It's very true, very true. No one, no one is. By, by the um, way, I'm looking, sorry, I'm, I'm easily distracted, but I'm looking here in Audacity, and there's a note that says, disk space remains for recording 585 hours and 10 minutes, so <laughs> that's, you know. <laughs> well... <laughs> If we, keep, days that <laughs> if we keep talking months. about drop seven, I think we can fill that up. If it's yeah. just about you, maybe we can get like an hour in. We'll see. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, uh, all right. Anyway, so we're going to we're going to kind of cover the gamut of your career here. But I'd, I'd like to start with uh, maybe even before your career and, and tell us about how uh, you kind of got into games and gaming. Hmm, yeah. Uh, let's see. How did I get into games? I guess that's pretty early. Um there was a uh, an arcade in the basement of the Century Mall in Chicago, uh, a large arcade um, that my dad would take me to when I was pretty young. It doesn't exist anymore. The mall still exists, but it's mostly like a sort of empty place with movie theaters at the top. Um, sure. At least last time well, I was there. Uh, like all malls. Like all malls, yeah. Um, but this was back in, you know, the 80s when it was still, malls were still awesome. Um and in that, uh, you know, in that arcade, I think I got just early exposure to a lot of things, including like an arcade cabinet of Super Mario Brothers, and um, and uh, that was sort of my first like taste of things. And I think just then growing up, like I, w- I wasn't really allowed to have any uh, like TV systems, as my parents called them. Um, mm. So I would have to go over to friends' houses to play, uh, you know, Nintendo and Super Nintendo and Genesis and stuff. And I actually didn't get a console until a PlayStation. Uh, my first actual system was a Game Boy. Um, but I played the heck out of that Game Boy. Um, played a ton of stuff on it. And uh, at the time, too, I think a lot of it was just the culture of being a fan and reading EGM and GamePro uh, as well, like from the start, um, which obviously sort of ended up being important in my career too. Um, but I just really liked sort of the, you know, I liked that part of um, being a fan as well and getting to dive deep into these magazines and having them be like the single source of news and pouring over like the rumors columns and all these things that we would, you know, we sort of don't, don't do today or really even have any modern equivalent of. Um, but it was really cool because it was like, uh, you know, it, it felt it felt small and sort of insular in like a nice way, and you were part of this this thing, and there were people out there covering it, and they were the experts, and you were sort of at their mercy as to what uh, you know what information they were going to hand down to you. And then there were you know rumors of secret unlocks in Mortal Kombat and all this stuff, and that was a part of the culture too. Um, and so I'd go and hang around like laundromats and watch people play Mortal Kombat and try to pick things up, and uh, it was just sort of it felt very different. Um, being a fan of games at the time, but obviously I'm talking about when I was relatively young. Sure. Um, and then um, I just, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, PS1, I think especially, because, that was, again, that was my first sort of, like, TV system, um, and I dove pretty deep on there and played all the classics, and, uh, I mean, Final Fantasy VII was my first RPG, which was uh, which was nice, and got super into that, and Metal Gear and Symphony of the Night and all the all the things you would imagine, and then there was the the weird side of it too, like the Mister, you know, no one can stop Mister Dominoes, and uh, my friend uh, Alfredo imported um, this uh, LCD game from Japan. Uh, that's this weird sort of like uh, bizarre, creepy, like acid trip thing. It's like this first person adventure experience. Um, so sort of weird things like that. I got a little bit of a taste of. Um, and um let's see I'm trying to think where where things went from there but yeah just your your normal ps1 fan i guess and kept going and then um fast forward years later and i ended up working I, you know i was sort of like i had done a couple of years of film school um i had done some stuff on the side writing for like a newspaper that went out to a bunch of high schools in chicago i did some game reviews for them uh and i just started a blog with a buddy um a gaming blog with a buddy uh and ended up working at eb games i was sort of like not sure what i wanted to do with my life i'd done those couple years of film school uh just trying to figure things out um and i really always liked being at eb like i got to know the guys there and hanging out and chatting about games 
<clears throat> and one day I was like, hey, what, you know, are you guys hiring at all? And that ended up becoming a full-time thing and being like an assistant manager and spending a lot of time at the store. And um, I really miss those days too. Like I think of them really fondly. It was, you know, it was actually a really positive experience overall. I think especially uh, before GameStop took over um, and sort of changed the culture there a bit. Right. Um, but it was just like hanging out with your good friends, talking about games and talking about customers with games. It was a very like direct uh, experience um, with everyone. And, and that just got me even more immersed in it. And at the same time, I was spinning up the gaming blog more and more and just mostly for our friends and other random people who discover it. Um, but I just really enjoyed it. And uh, at the time also, and I'll, I'll wrap up this long anecdote quickly, uh, shortly, but... Um, you know, I was getting also into like I was a big fan of the One Up Show and all that stuff, and and getting into sort of the personality-driven side of the industry and getting to know the people who cover games, and that was sort of eye-opening because ultimately they were just like me. They were like game fans who didn't necessarily have journalism backgrounds. I mean, some of them did, but um, uh, they were just cool dudes who lived in San Francisco who covered this stuff. And I realized, hey, you know, I don't know if I'm a cool dude, but I can live in San Francisco. <laughs> um, <laughs> I got half of that going. Um, so let me drink some water. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I sort of, uh, bought a one-way plane ticket to California and, um, flew out and visited a friend in LA for a bit and stopped by San Francisco to sort of case the joint. Um, and then was like, yep, this is going to work for me and went home and then, uh, drove out here with a buddy across the country and sort of never looked back, um, until now. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And I, you know, I just sort of then, I had to figure out how to how to do that and how to get into game journalism, and it all worked out very sort of quickly and very fortunately for me. But there were sort of some calculated risks in there too. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, you went from watching the One Up Show to being on the One Up Show. Yeah, it was, uh, and and even more surreal, I think, was uh, being you know reading EGM growing up for years and years, and then ending up writing for EGM just because it was such like a long life spanning thing. Um, and still, it's a little hard for me to like actually process like. You know, even though I have in my room like all the you know modern issues that I that I wrote for, and I can open them up and find myself in there, it still is a little a little weird. Once you're part of it, it like doesn't it doesn't feel like the same thing you grew up reading. It feels like oh, this is like a different thing I ended up writing for, and 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 you know the magazine changes too, but um, it's still sort of hard to get my head around in a very existential way. Yeah, totally fair. I mean, do you have the same feeling when you moved on to Sony? Like you you were out here playing PlayStation games, and now you are actually actively working to get games onto the PlayStation. Yeah, I think, um, I guess in the beginning, actually, when I first started at Sony, it did feel like it was actually Sony, which made it feel very, like, very reverent and very, like, oh, man. I mean, I mean, yeah, I remember even the first time I interviewed there, which was actually before I went to work at 1UP, um, and I was like, I can't believe I'm getting a callback from these people. I can't believe I'm going to their building like oh my god there's what you know one of the addresses is like 989 um <laughs> which is 999 studios comes from right. so like all, you know all these things were sort of amazing for me as someone who'd only been in california a few months and now like was at the epicenter of sort of the culture the side of gaming that i cared about the most so that was all uh, pretty weird yeah okay so we're moving a little bit further ahead um so you you got to one up you did your stuff at one up we're not going to cover one up because there is literally tons uh, of <laughs> of gigabytes of data of people talking about one up and egm and and everything and and people can do it way better than than me at least because you have you have talked about this on on many different podcasts and things sure. uh, so we'll skip over that but then you uh you went from that uh and then you guys started rebel fm right after as just kind of a way to continue doing the thing that you knew how to do yeah, I mean, we, you know, that was a big part of it. I think, uh, you know, the the podcast One Up FM that Phil Culler and I had started with Andrew Fister, um, and that we sort of co-hosted. We really enjoyed doing that, and uh, it, it sort of um, helped us like grab hold a little bit of our own piece of the the whole empire. And like we were sort of like the new kids, and we were doing this new show um, and having a good time with it. And um, we just really wanted to keep doing that, and we still had a lot to say. And of course, there was a lot going on and. Uh, then at least, you know, there, the sort of social media wasn't quite as ubiquitous and we all signed up for Twitter accounts, of course. So we could like have, uh, people who had been reading us sort of have somewhere to go, but we wanted to like talk about these things and process them. And so, yeah, we just started, um, uh, started Rebel FM and recorded it in Anthony Gallegos's living room and, 
um, a bunch of different people came on and I was only ultimately only there for seven episodes, but it felt like a really important sort of bridge point for me to sort of be there and get that out of my system and be there with all those other people and sympathize with each other. And then, um, be able to move on to the next thing. And, you know, of course, when Sony came knocking then with the, with the job offer soon after, uh, it was, you know, it was a tough thing to, it would have been tough to turn it down. And I felt weird, um, you know, leaving Rebel FM so soon, but I, I was pretty sure that anyone like who was actually a fan of ours would understand that. Like, you know, we all needed jobs and this was like a right. thing, you know, uh, thing to do as well. But um, I, I'm really glad those guys are still doing it. Actually. I, I need to get over there and, getting an episode of that too that'll be fun and uh yeah it's kind of like incredible there's, episodes later <laughs> yeah there's still they're still going on well i can tell you from an outsider perspective like i i was totally against twitter didn't didn't want to do all this social media stuff i already had a facebook but i didn't want to use it that much and right. and it was it was egm and one up going down that caused me to go oh god i need to i need to know where these people go so I, that was what that was what got me on on twitter was was that happening and then you know, just as a source of news, uh, Rebel FM kind of, I know it was a, a tough time for you guys, and at least that first episode was really somber, but at the same time, th- like, that was the only lifeline a lot of us had for, like, oh, God, we need to know what's going on with these people, because it was it, it was ahead of its time in, in a way, that there are these this personality-driven website, and now you see so many gaming sites like giant bomb and and others that are and waypoint and plenty of others there that are very personality driven. And that all comes from, comes back from that time. Yeah. And I think there was the feeling and I, you know, I can speak to this because I was also a fan before I worked there. So I feel like I'm not, I'm not saying it firsthand, but, um, uh, you know, there's a feeling too, that you're like friends with everyone and you know, these people when you're listening to their podcast and everything. And so when something like that happens, it's like, oh man, you want to, you want to like be there for them in a sense. And you want to know what's going on with them. So that was, that was, I think the sort of direct, most like raw channel we could, we could think of to allow for that. Cause we needed that too. We needed to like, you know, ad- address it to everyone who had been following us for, um, for those couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. So you got to Sony and were you doing developer relations at the very beginning? Um, no, so actually, um, I was doing a product evaluation, which is what I had actually interviewed there for, um, two years previous, uh, before I started at one up. Um, and so it was sort of a, you know, a very sort of internal secretive role of like, you know, every other third party, um, publisher, uh, or developer, like submitting their game concepts and sort of needing to go through the green light process a little bit at Sony, um, and so I was looking over design documents and builds and pitches and stuff and uh, giving the thumbs up to sort of keep moving forward or, you know, and giving a lot of feedback usually. Um, so that was a very different sort of role. It was closer to being a reviewer, which is what I had done a lot in the press. So that was sort of a natural step for me, but it was weird doing it very internal focused. And I had to sort of like shut down those uh, external channels of mine a little bit, not not literally shut down, but sort of like you know, there wasn't as much I could talk about work related. Right. Um, yeah. So I mean, I there just... was a, there was a reason you had to stop doing rebel FM. Like there's yeah, exactly. things that you couldn't talk about anymore. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, and even, you know, even having opinions on, on games when you're a, you know, a Sony employee or an employee on, uh, of any company, that's really the, you know, as far as some people are concerned, that's the company's opinion. So it's a line you have to toe and play right. with everybody. Um, so, yeah, so I started doing product evaluation um, for the first few years, really, uh, but really enjoyed working on the smaller stuff the most, as you would imagine. And I think a lot of the developers, uh, smaller devs are more responsive to feedback and more appreciative of it, whereas the big publishers just want to sort of keep moving through the process. So um, I really enjoyed that and um, also became friends with some local developers in San Francisco. Uh, when I would go to GDC, I'd end up hanging out with them and just meeting friends of friends and walking around the IGF booth, uh, the Independent Games Festival, and just seeing new games and talking to those people. Uh, and at the time, I didn't really have much way of sort of helping them firsthand back onto the platform. Um, there was a developer relations team, but it was more sort of a service for people. Um, it wasn't really like a proactive thing, um, and it was a pretty small team. So uh, basically, I just started moonlighting, helping out with that. And we had our pub fund program, um, so we had a little bit of funding to play with to help things happen. Um, and then, uh, I guess, over time, that that product valuation group just sort of morphed into our developer relations group and i ended up taking on stuff full-time and uh that was sort of the beginning of the what became the big indie friendly push that we did and and what time period is this is this pre-vita still when this is like starting up um that's a great question um (laughs) 
I think, oh man, because I'm trying to remember like the the PSP Vita divide. Um, yeah, I guess it was pre-Vita actually now that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to like remember all the stuff because it fits in my head in a weird order. But um, yeah, that was pre-Vita. So we spun things up, I think pretty much from the beginning with Vita because we had like code names and, and such for it internally. And, and, um, and Vita actually, I think maybe if I remember correctly, was like one of the code names that ended up being like the final one in one of those situations. Interesting. Yeah, that that doesn't seem to happen uh, a lot from from right. what I know uh, or from what I've been told from from internal stuff. Um, so when you're doing developer relations and you're looking for these guys, I, I know that you know being a handheld game show, we're going to talk about handheld stuff. Um, one of the things I, I hear a lot, and I kind of want to confirm with you, is like when uh, developers wanted to get stuff on Vita because they they kind of there was a novelty uh, of having something in the hand of like my game is running on this device that I am holding and I can hand to you directly right now and, and you can just play it. I mean, was that the the sense that you got or was, was it something that you guys kind of had to push for a little bit more? Um, I think really, and this is generally true of the Vita audience. I think anyone who has a, who has a Vita is really a proselytizer of, of it and a champion of, of just how great a portable system it was. And, um, you know, there were other obstacles to getting it in people's hands and growing the install base. But I think it was like undoubtedly a great system when you got one. Um, I, I, you know, I guess depending on your expectations of the games library a little bit, um, uh, but generally I think developers who had Vitas or even had development kits were just huge fans of the hardware because it looked beautiful. It was like easily the best, you know, the best portable system. And, um, so they really were excited about making games on it, per, you know, playing their own games on it personally. Um, and I think some of the stuff you mentioned, like the ease of use of being able to hand a Vita over to someone for a demo, like that goes a long way too. Um, but there was really no shortage of, um, you know, excitability for the Vita. I think there were some, you know, commercial concerns at some point by some devs, um, but especially, you know, later down the road, once Unity spun up Vita support and it was sort of a, you know, porting was an easier, um, easier ask than, you know, then it became sort of like, well, if you can, why wouldn't you put your platform, I mean, why wouldn't you put your game on Vita as another platform? Um, it also adds a lot of value perception through cross-buy, which most games would would opt into. And um, it's just like a really nice, you know, there was a nice stretch there where like most things you wanted, especially on the indie side, were coming out, you know, sim shipping on PS4 Vita or PS3 and Vita um, with cross-buy and everything. And it was like a really nice holistic way, especially if you have cross-save and everything to, you know, to buy and play something. And obviously I'm preaching to the choir here with uh, <laughs> a handheld focus podcast, but um but yeah, there was certainly no shortage of enthusiasm, um, and we got you know we we were good about sending out lots of dev kits and just um, being able to, to make good on that. So if anyone was curious about it or wanted to look into it, we would totally send them hardware and you know let them experiment. Totally. I mean, for for me, I I have a, a MacBook Pro, uh, which comes with a lot of uh, issues when you want to play games. Uh, and even though that's gotten better over the years, uh, it's still a laptop uh, and playing games with a trackpad isn't that fun. So the Vita right. was definitely something that uh, was great to play last year's indie game, <laughs> last year's big indie games on my Vita now, or or even like maybe you could get it within the same year. But uh, playing games like Hotline Miami and Spelunky for sure, like those games were, were ones that was like, oh, this is... This is why somebody needs the system. It's all of these great smaller games, and right. um, you know what? That that maybe it's not fair. I did not play Uncharted: Golden Abyss or Golden Golden Abyss. Yes, yes, uh, yeah, it sounds right. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I didn't play but, that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think part of that the issue there too early on was uh, I, I don't know, and and who knows if it was rightfully so or just poor expectations but i think you know sony really wanted to push it as like this was a platform where you're going to get your triple a experiences on the go um which was a nice idea uh and there was you know and and uncharted was happening and uh there was you know a, a mediocre call of duty happening and yeah. um so these, these franchises or sorry go ahead I played Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom three on on the Vita. Yeah, not that well, was, but I did. Right, right. No, that was yeah, that was actually a great part. And so there were some really good games early on, but I think there was maybe you know a presumption that uh, a lot of these bigger publishers were going to just hop on board because it's PlayStation and and make this stuff, and that didn't really you know come to bear. And so it ended up being more of a digital indie focused system, which was. Uh, you know, made it an incredible place for those of us who were into that sort of thing. But I think for someone who bought it, uh, expecting to have like Call of Duty on the go, playing on a bus, like that dream was pretty quickly quashed. 
Right. And, and that seemed to be up until now with the switch and, and that can be a discussion later on this podcast. But um, I've always had this feeling of, you know, you have to make games that that make sense for the hardware and making a call of duty like a triple a call of duty for the Vita just doesn't like the, I just don't see the situation where I do that. And, and even um, even kill zone uh, forgot the name of the kill zone that was on Vita, but um like it, it just didn't feel like a Vita liberation, experience. maybe. Uh, Is that a thing? Maybe, or was that a <laughs> PS4 one? I don't. There have been too many kills. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I haven't played nearly enough of them to to know for sure. Um, right. But you know, when I'm I'm thinking like back to Game Boy and Game Boy Color and and those times of you know the the best games were ones that just took advantage of the hardware. And I'm thinking of something like Super Mario Land where. You know, you know, you can't make uh, a perfect one-to-one Super Mario Brothers game here. In fact, they they tried on the the Game Boy Color, and it didn't quite work out uh, because of the screen size. But Super Mario Land decided, you know, we're going to jump right into this and and try new things, and we're going to have new powers, and we're going to have these weird areas because we can't make the areas that we could on the NES, and and that's why that game works. And and I think that's why indie games also worked on Vita is that they are mostly meant for these smaller bite-sized experiences that just work better for handheld gaming. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and, and there, yeah, I think exactly that, uh, games like, you know, Splunky and Luftrausers, like a lot of my favorite indie games, generally like they, they are best on Vita and that sounded like a sort of marketing line, but like, uh, really the way you would play them and engage with them. And, um, and just a lot of times, like, the game feel even would just uh, work really well. Um, so it became sort of a natural place that people gravitated towards, I think. Totally, yeah. I mean, I played Spelunky on the 360 when it first came out, and it was fun, and I played it with friends during co-op, and it was okay, and I put it down. And But then once I started playing it on Vita, that's when I got way into it. That's when I actually beat it for the first time right, and right. and beat it many more times afterward. <clears throat> it was like, okay, now, now I understand what this game's all about, and I think the Vita had a big, uh, big hand in that. Right. So uh, you mentioned uh, you mentioned Luftrausers and Spelunky. Uh, what are some of the other games that you helped to kind of bring to to Vita? Oh, um, well, those actually too. I should give credit to. Um, so uh, Shahid Ahmad, uh, in you know who was at Sony Europe for a long time. Uh, him and his his great team at Strategic Content. They also early on in the days of Vita, they were great champions of it and seeded a lot of uh, funding for a lot of smaller games and. And and that was also, I think, a lot of devs that may may not have been ready to sort of jump in yet, but they sort of encouraged them and gave them, you know, gave them some funding to help make it happen. So um, I think a lot of props to them too uh, for that. Um, so I think things. I mean, I you know, I was I was involved to some extent of that. Like um, you know, Splunky was an interesting one because that was one where sort of I connected uh derek the developer here to to them and they connected them with blit the the port housing the port house that worked on it so um it just that was a nice one where we got to sort of collaborate on worldwide um so as far as other stuff i worked on um that's a good question i'm uh i'm pulling up my i actually have my vita right here too um i mean there were things like um like Salt and Sanctuary, which was a pub fun game that I that I signed, um, and Vita was a part of that. And obviously, that was a game that took a while to come out in Vita, as was the case with a lot of the sort of the more ambitious ones over time. Uh, but I think it still ended up having like a great, uh, you know, it's a great game on Vita by the end of it. Yeah. Um, same with like Alone with You was also uh, was part of the pub fun program and had a great Vita version. Um, Axiom Verge was another one. Again, took a while, but uh, is is great on Vita. Um, what else? Uh, I mean, it's uh, I'm just like flip, flipping through my library here, which I haven't like touched in a little while. But um, there's some great stuff. I think an early one, um, actually, one of the first games that I signed there was Metrico, um, which yeah. also took sort of a few years to come out. Also part of the Pub Fun program, but that was one that actually was really built, uh, you know, from the ground up for Vita with tons of interesting like. Uh, you know, touchscreen and tilting and different integrations, and um, I think probably to a point that made it, uh, you know, an extra amount of work for them on the back end to then eventually bring it to other platforms. Um, right. I didn't have all of that, but I think it really did feel like, uh, you know, like a Vita game first and foremost of the time. And that was really great. And I thought it was really stylistic and interesting and a great puzzle game. So yeah, there, there um, weren't a ton of games that completely took, uh, I mean, that, that's what a lot of the, the early games did of, of like we talked about uncharted. And while I didn't play it, I know it had like the rubbings and stuff where you're using the back touch and the, 
and the front touch and all the accelerometer for like moving across a rope. But you didn't see a lot of Vita games take full advantage of the hardware. And, and Metrico is definitely one of those. And, and another one, I've done an episode on this with uh, Patrick Klepek, uh, but Tearaway from, from Media Molecule is also yeah, like absolutely. another one of those. I, like that was that game took uh, every single Vita feature and found a way to use it in a, in a really fun and innovative way. And and I haven't played the PS4 version, but I could I can't imagine how difficult or maybe even stripped down it feels when you have to take out some of those those features or change right. some of those features from the Vita, which had all the the back touch, the front touch, the accelerometers, the cameras, and and try to put that on PS4 where you have uh, more limited control options or input yeah, options. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. I played through it on Vita. That was a wonderful game, and that's a great example of like taking. Uh, you know, taking a first-party studio um, and really building something from the ground up for the hardware. And I think, you know, maybe the aesthetic wasn't sort of cool enough for the hardcore gamer and uh, maybe it wasn't wasn't the right thing. Um, but, you know, I loved it. And that's a great example of, I think, what was like headed in the right direction of this is how you support a platform meaningfully on, you know, a- as a platform and on the first-party side. Um, again, maybe it wasn't sort of the right, the right bet to expand the audience, but it was... Uh, I'm, I'm glad they took it either way. Yeah, totally. Uh, so you mentioned when you were uh, talking about Spelunky, about the, the port houses. Is that something that, uh, I know if this is secret sauce stuff, you don't have to talk about it, but <laughs> is that something developer relations like had uh, like access to, or is that something that you guys uh, had in your pitch to, to these studios of, oh, we have you know these different uh, development port, porting studios that, that are ready to you know, bring your game over to the Vita. Is that like um, one of the parts not, of the pitch? Not really at the start. I think uh, Shahid's team may have um, may have had more of a relationship with some early on in those early earlier Vita days. Um, but I think uh, once you know, once Gio Corsi, um, uh, who you mentioned earlier, once he came on board to sort of uh, run our team. Um, you know, and spun up the third party product. Well, I guess third party production was the, the side he came on board to, to run and eventually that sort of merged with our team. Um, that side really was set up to, to do exactly that, to find these awesome work for hire studios and match, make them with games, you know, and, and help things like when Borderlands two came to Vita, that was through this relationship working with Gearbox and Iron Galaxy and, um, and, uh, third party production, having a relationship with both to sort of make it work and give it some production oversight from the Sony side. So, uh, there were, you know, that's a big thing that their team brought to the table and that they continue to do now as the developer relations team. So now they do have this great sort of Rolodex of places, um, you know, they, they sort of, uh, don't, you know, don't always want to play favorites necessarily, but they, they can recommend like, Oh, here's some studios that may be able to help you. You should talk to them. Um, whether it's like, uh, you know, Sickhead, who did everything from like Towerfall to Sultan Sanctuary, um, or 22nd Century Toys, who did, uh, you know, they did Nidhogg and uh, some of the SNK fighting games, just this whole spectrum of, of studios, both like small and big, um, that are sort of waiting in the wings to jump on this stuff. And a lot of them now, like like Blit, I think, um, have sort of more work than, than they can handle. Like, you know, I think after seeing stuff like the Splunky Port, which is such like high quality, um, and for me, at least they were always great to work with. Uh, there's a lot of indies who want that sort of service, obviously. So um, it's great that they got to help out and make so many games great for Vita. Definitely. So how about how long were you at Sony before you went to Oculus? Um, about seven years. Okay. Yeah. And then how, how kind of did the Oculus thing come up? Um, so, uh, Chris Journey, who runs their developer relations team there, um, he used to work at Supergiant, um, who I worked with pretty closely, um, bringing, you know, Transistor and then Bastion and then Pyre to, I mean, I was gone by the time Pyre came out, but I worked with them to, uh, you know, on the Sony side originally, um, and so I, I got to know Chris, who was an uh, engineer, I believe, over there. Um, and then he actually left and went to go join Oculus. I think he was on the Medium team to start. Um, and I ran into him actually at, at PAX East, funnily enough, um, probably the, I don't know, year or two after I, I met you there for the first time. I guess it would have been 20... Well, when would it? Oh, was it? Maybe it was last year, which is weird, but maybe it couldn't have been. <laughs> 
no, I guess it was last year. It feels so weird to say because we're at the end of this year and it's like, right. you know, time is weird. But um, <laughs> anyways, I got to know him at Supergiant and, he, you know, he was at the developer relations team and growing the team and he just ran into me um, and... Uh, we chatted a bit. I didn't know he was doing developer relations then. And, you know, after seven years at one place, I really needed a change. Um, and I thought that that would be sort of a big enough change for me that I needed. Um, and so he mentioned to me later that he was, like, sitting with his HR guy going, like, yeah, I think he was looking at my LinkedIn profile and saying, you know, we need someone like Nick. Wait a minute. What if we just get Nick? <laughs> um, like you said, Nick is the expert on Nick. So, um, so, so Anyway, yeah, so they reached out, and that all worked out. Um, so I was happy to go try something else for a bit, and I was there for about 14 months. Uh, and I think ultimately it just wasn't enough of a change for me, and I need to, needed to sort of give myself some space to just pursue you know, various other things and creative pursuits and just spend my time talking to different people and uh, sort of figuring out in a bigger sense what I want to be doing with my life, really, and where I want to be living and all that stuff. And um, I think sort of getting into the routine of developer relations at, at Oculus wasn't, you know, it was pretty similar to, to Sony in some ways. Um, and I think I just needed a bigger step away from that. Sure. And, and I mean, you have these other creative pursuits that you are doing outside of developer relations. And I think this is a great time to uh, to transition into talking about the book that you wrote. Uh, yeah. So this this actually happened uh, while you were at Sony, or like the tail end of Sony. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, no, it was actually all while I was at Sony, and it was. Okay. Uh, so, the, so the book I wrote is uh, a book about Shadow of the Colossus for the Boss Fight book series that does a bunch of books on on classic games. There, I think they have about seventeen ish books out, and they do uh, kickstarters uh, kickstarters for every sort of season of books of like five books at a time. Um, and yeah, I saw that they were looking. The, there's a fan voted book each each season, and Shadow of the Colossus was one of the fan vote. I was one of the people who voted, and I actually backed that season to support the Splunky book, um, which I was excited to read, and uh, which uh, again Derek, the developer, ended up writing. And I was sort of sad actually when I saw there he was writing it. I was like, man, I want to write a Splunky book. Why does he have to do it? <laughs> because um, he's the expert on Splunky. I know he is the expert. That's true. Uh, <laughs> he's the expert on Derek. Um, so anyway, Shadow of the Colossus was the fan-voted book, which I was excited about. Uh, and then I saw that they were looking for a writer, and I was like, man, this was like the role I was born to play. Because um, it's always been my favorite game uh, since, you know, since it first came out. And, you know, I didn't really mention it earlier, but that was also sort of pivotal, I think, in the way that I thought about games and, and wanting to talk about games. Um, uh, so Absolutely. Was... One, one Mr. Nick Sutner in uh, the introduction of this book, I believe, says that Shadow Colossus uh, was the reason he got into games in the first place. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it really, <laughs> it, it, uh, <laughs> it, it, um, yeah, it sort of opened my eyes a bit and, 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 you know, games are maturing a lot in, in some ways, but I think there's a certain, um, mystery and, and space and, uh, just a layer of like, weirdness and epicness and all these things that i loved about shadow that i didn't really know that games could be and so that um you know that that sort of snowballed into me wanting to cover them more meaningfully and anyway um so it was always my favorite game and so i was really excited to be able to you know get a shot at writing this so i reached out to gabe durham who runs the series and talked with him and gave him some writing samples and just sort of applied like anyone else and um the only sort of layer of of weirdness of it was me being a sony employee and even though they published the game um this was like me doing it you know this wasn't an official book really this was just right. like a fan series uh that's why it also doesn't use any assets from these games or anything it's all text um so it was actually took took some doing uh i think and ended up having to sort of go all the way up to like sony japan headquarters to to get the okay for me to do this like as a fan because it was sort of a weird line where it's like well i want to write this book not as an employee and not as an official book but it's about a game that you published um so you know, it took some doing, but I, you know, I appreciated that everyone was really supportive um, and and got to a positive place by the end of it. And I think they were all pretty pretty happy, you know, with the whole situation by the end. Um, but it took it took a while to get there. Yeah, um, definitely. I mean, it, so, it's something. It's obviously a game that means a lot to you, and I I know that you guys did a really long series uh, on it for for One Up FM. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know where anybody could find those files. I, I'm sure somebody has them out they on the are, internet somewhere. Uh, they are up, actually. Someone has a page like just for them. Um, if my internet's working right, I'll see if I can find it while you're talking. But um, okay, yeah. we'll we'll definitely put it in the show notes uh, so people can find that. Uh, but yeah, you guys had had that uh, from before, and then 
uh, you know, just working at Sony because of Shadow of the Colossus, and and you did a great job. Honestly, I'm gonna gonna just toot your horn here, but uh, I enjoyed Thanks that book much. immensely. Um, and honestly, the whole boss fight book series is is really good. I have it many. Awesome. <laughs> I have many of them. Uh, Derek's uh-huh. was also the the one on Spelunky that you mentioned is is really cool. Just from a uh, like, this is the guy who actually developed the game. He can tell you exactly why things are the way they are in the game. And that's for sure. Yeah, I was going to cool. ask if you'd read Splunky, but yeah, it's 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 one of my favorites. Yeah, I, I've man, I the one I'm about to read right now. I just finished ZZT uh, by Anna Anthropy, and I was going to do Chris Kohler's on uh, Final Fantasy uh, Five that uh, oh, just nice. came out yeah. of the new series. Yeah, I need to read it still. I, I did a couple um, sort of talks and signings and stuff with him um, a few months ago, but I, yeah, I need to read it now that it's out. I'm excited about it. Cool. So, uh, so you're what are you kind of doing now then like you've you've written books you've done developer relations you've worked in uh, in games journalism um and now you're just kind of figuring out what's going on yeah well it's interesting because in, in the beginning of the show you were like we're going to talk about your career and it's always weird for me i mean you know it, it makes sense but it's weird for me to sort of hear it referred to as a career even yeah you're um, about you're just, retiring from games now is what i know I that's right yeah <laughs> Um, no, it's just, it's weird because it's, uh, I don't know. It's like my, my skill set and me on a resume and all this stuff is just sort of weird. It's like, I, I, you know, I think I'm a decent writer and I think that's how I got into games writing in the first place and how I was able to sort of write a couple books. I also wrote a, a sort of art book thing about Last Guardian too for Future Press later. But, um, uh, outside of that though, like my skills, I guess are just like, you know, caring a lot and, and being decent at uh, <laughs> sort of championing things internally to companies and getting them on board with, with stuff. I mean, it's a, it's a weird thing, like, doing developer relations. And that's, you know, I, I think I have a, a, a more creative background personally. Like I mentioned, I went to film school, and my mom's an art teacher. My dad was a director for a long time. And, um, and I went to this, uh, the Chicago Waldorf School, and the, the Waldorf School is this Montessori chain of schools that's sort of very arts-focused. And so I always had sort of more artful ambitions growing up. And then getting into the industry, I was, you know, I was on the writing side, which to, to me was, was a more of a creative pursuit. But um, I think ended up on, at Sony especially getting way more into the business side. And that's sort of what I pitched and told myself as for a long time and working with a lot of creative people and helping them accomplish their creative dreams and realizing, hey, I, I still have some, some of my own. And so that was part of it too, I think, is me wanting to work more broadly across that spectrum of business and creative stuff. And there's a lot of overlap there and you can approach a lot of business creatively and you can approach a lot of creative stuff with a business mindset. But um, I think I was doing a lot of it sort of second or third hand and I really wanted to get involved directly. Um, and those, these are just all sort of some of the ideas I had while I was sort of leaving, you know, leaving my job and entering the world in which I am now. Um, but really, it's just been about uh, so far, just honestly talking to a lot of great people across all walks of the industry, people I respect a lot or um, whose work I like a lot, usually both. Um, and seeing what opportunities there are out there and what what the needs are and like is it uh you know does the world need um need me to be making games does the world need me to does the world need another indie publisher uh does the do indies need some consulting help um do people need writing help and just this whole spectrum of things that i'm sort of uh at least talking about if not dipping my toes into a little bit um and sort of trying to get to a place that I feel, you know, just feel more comfortable working across that spectrum of things and, and working with a range of different people too, which I've always enjoyed. Yeah. You, uh, I remember a tweet of last night that you wrote about, uh, Celeste. Mm -hmm. What's, uh, you want to tell people what that's about? Yeah. So, um, Celeste is this rad game from, uh, Matt Thorson, uh, who worked on Towerfall and Nullberry and a lot of other great people. Um, and it's this, uh, really fantastic, um, sort of like, uh, hardcore platformer and i feel like there's not a lot of strict platformers these days so when there's a good one i really get into it um and it's about uh this this woman climbing a mountain uh and avoiding lots of like spikes and other sort of you know super meat boy-esque uh platforming challenges um but it's really great and so uh you know a little while back i saw matt had been putting out some blog posts about the development and how he was getting into writing the game and how it was the first game he was writing and sort of he was um it just sounded like he was sort of looking for some help and so i reached out right after i left my job and was like hey 
uh, you know, this isn't a thing I've done, but I've written a few books and I, I you know, I'm a good editor at least. Um, so do you want some help with this? And he was totally into it. We've worked together before when I helped bring Towerfall to PS4. Um, and, uh, so I sort of joined the team in a small way and, uh, it's been super great actually. So, um, basically I've been like, they're a script doctor. I'm just sort of like punching things up, uh, for lack of a better Hollywood-esque term, um, doing a lot of editing and a little bit of writing, um, and just helping bring it together, which has mostly been about like playing builds and uh, you know hopping into the document and, and tweaking things and making suggestions for Matt. And um, I think he's he's enjoyed it too. And uh, it's been super fun and gratifying, and makes me feel like I'm sort of on the right path towards towards something. Um, and honestly, just collaborating with a great small team like theirs and being on their Slack channel and chatting about stuff and getting excited about things as they come into the game like that's been really great so um and and i think what i tweeted last night was saying like you know one of the best things about working on the game is that i would have loved the game anyway so getting to sort of play it early and you know and be a part of it um has been has been awesome definitely and that game uh comes out early next year and i know it comes out for switch does it come out for other uh platforms as well uh i believe so um okay. i don't know the official line so i shouldn't speak to it but uh i'm sure i'm sure it's like steam at the least as well but um i imagine other consoles too all right i'll make sure to look it up and and put a link in the show notes as well if people want to cool, check out thanks. celeste the, the yeah it's 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 really really good um, i watched a trailer think... of it last night when you when you posted about it because i was like I, what is celeste about this nick setner guy usually knows good stuff <laughs> um and uh and yeah it looked really cool it gave me uh, not to be reductionist but it kind of gave me like a cave story vibe at least in the visuals uh yeah and yeah, then for sure. and then like a super meat boy or maybe even like a shovel knight from the the way that it uh kind of controls and and looks to mechanically move around yeah and i think actually too um if you if you can picture having a lot of the tower fall game feel uh in in sort of a dedicated platformer it, it's you know it has a lot of that too um, which which i really liked um so you know it's a lot of that team and the art team and everything too um but it's really great expanding it into like a full adventure very cool well when you're not playing games that nobody else can play right now uh what <laughs> what what else are uh, are you playing around on um, so I actually just got a switch, which is a big deal for me. Um, and you're actually the first person I've talked to publicly, uh, in recorded history about, oh, we this. got an exclusive um, over here, we got an exclusive, uh, <laughs> of, um, yeah. So I, I, I'm sort of like a weird, I call myself like a Nintendo hater. I'm not a Nintendo hater. You'd have to be like a, you know, a, a real Grinch to hate Nintendo. Um, <laughs> it's more just that I think they, I felt like they didn't really grow up with me in the way that I was hoping for. And I think I sort of like, we just parted ways um, around, you know, a little after Wii came out. Um, so I played through Mario Galaxy on my Wii and then I traded my Wii to Sean Elliott who worked, uh, you know, worked, worked at 1UP as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, for his PS3 because he was like, eh, I don't know about this PS3 thing. And I was like, eh, I think I'm done with this Wii. And it was a great mutual, mutually yeah. beneficial trade at the time. Um, and I thought I was getting a great deal. Um, and that's actually how I got my, you know, my first personal PS3. Um, oops, sorry, I'm making noise on my desk. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that, anyway, that was sort of my like parting ways with Nintendo. But and I got a DS and played with that a bit, but sort of never got quite back into it. Um, but, uh, and, and I also didn't really, again, because I didn't grow up, um, having Nintendo characters in my household directly, I would again, go to friends' houses and stuff, but I don't have the same sort of nostalgia for Mario and Zelda and all that. It's like, I've, I've played these games. I love their Game Boy installments. Um, I just don't need like more of it in my life, but, um, you know, I was sort of getting enough raves about Zelda and I, you know, a lot of people, you know, I've complained a lot to friends about like the sort of modern open world game and being full of sort of telegraphing everything around every corner. Um, and everyone was like, well, you should play Zelda because really it is about that mystery and a lot of the things I value in Shadow of the Colossus. And so um, it got me excited to play that. And then Mario Odyssey just looked like super weird. And and as we've talked about, I like I like weird a lot. And so I was like, and then, you know, I knew, of course, there'd be a lot of great indie games too that would be a nice option to have on Switch and, and bring some of that portability we had with Vita and maybe the best of both worlds. So I was like, all right, I guess it's time that I get back into Nintendo's ecosystem a bit. Um, so I haven't actually gotten a Zelda yet because I knew Mario was coming out uh, sort of shortly after I was getting the Switch. So I've basically just been playing. Well, I played a lot of Golf Story to start Good. before Mario came out, which I which I definitely enjoyed. Um, weirdly, it's not really it's not the sort of game I would I would recommend at least strongly to anyone. Like it's not. I don't think it's it's amazing um, or like a must play or anything. But it's just like a chill, fun game that's. Um, 
uh, you know, got some really funny writing. Um, it's just like, it's got sort of the, the golfing is like, for me, it was a little frustrating at first, um, but has like an interesting sort of skill curve to it that I'm now enjoying when the game, you know, a bit deeper on and there's some harder stuff. Uh, and anyway, now I'm on to Mario Odyssey and I'm, I'm a few worlds into that. Um, I probably don't play things quite as intensely as a lot of people do. So I'm, you know, I, I've, I'm still making my way through the worlds, but, uh, I, I'm enjoying it. I have my share of criticisms, but it's uh, just sort of a fun sandbox to play around in. Absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, I just saw the credits for it last night, which is by no means the end of the game. Um, and sure, I won't, yeah. <laughs> I won't get into really anything for you, but well, yeah, nicely like... done. It was uh, it was definitely weird and definitely fun. Um, so yeah. you're you're kind of continuing in on that treat and and golf story. I think you're I think you're right. It's it's kind of an acquired taste for me, especially like I loved Mario Golf for the Game Boy Color, uh, and this game is pretty much exactly that. And and so it kind of just hits me right, right. in the sweet spot where okay, this this is definitely what I'm looking for. But yeah, it's it's a tough thing to recommend to people because it's a very um, it's got a very narrow focus to, to what it wants to be. Yeah. Uh, exactly. And especially when you got a game like everybody's golf that comes out really close to it. And, and the golf mechanics for that game are you know, vastly superior just because, you know, those guys have been making hot shots games forever and really understand how to make a golf game. Uh, sure. that, like when you're talking about mechanically, it's, it's tough to recommend golf story over the other one, but, but yeah, golf story has some really funny writing, um, and it's it's definitely a game that I'm playing a lot on Switch right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah uh, so yeah, I've been enjoying my Switch, which is not a thing I thought I would I thought I would say because I don't think I'd have one. But um, but yeah, that's been fun. I mean, do you do you think do you feel like the Switch is kind of like a, a next generation Vita in a way where it's it's starting to get? Uh, I feel like it has that same sort of developer excitement around it of you know this is something that you know I can just show you right now and, and going to PAX uh, PAX West. Uh, this last year, uh, you know, I saw a lot of people showing off their game on on Switch and other consoles as well. But they were really excited about the Switch version. Uh, I definitely went by the the Runner Three booth, the right. formerly Bitrip Runner and now just Runner, uh, and and they were, hey, yeah, you can play it on any of these things. But here, use the use the Switch version. I'm like, oh, yeah. okay, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. I think it has a lot of developers really like love the hardware um, and the portability of it. And uh, same thing where a lot of this stuff just comes from being excited about the system personally. I think also there's obviously a bit of a gold rush right now, too, where a lot of games are coming out and like selling best on Switch. Um, while we're still early on relatively in the in the content days. So, um, uh, you know, it just makes a lot of sense. You know, people are excited about it, and it's a good place commercially to be. So a lot of games are coming over. Uh, I, I'm sure Nintendo did take some some lessons from, from Vita, I, I imagine. And this seems like that idea, sort of the ultimate realization of it. Um, I mean, I think, you know, what if Vita had had like an HDMI out from the start? You know, maybe a different conversation now. But right. this is definitely a smart, you know, a smart bet. Um and so far, it seems to be going over really well, uh, which is really interesting. And I think the the sort of the you know snapping it onto your TV and mixed with the portability of it, like it is it is very convenient and it does just work, which is which is nice. Um, it has a lot of sort of Nintendo simplicity to it, and I've been enjoying that. Um, yeah, I, like I I'm one of those people who bought a PlayStation TV, um, and and sure. having to switch definitely feels like the like the Nintendo solution to that kind of a thing. Right, uh, Sony was yeah. I mean, for for Sony, it was like, well, if you have a PS4 and you have a Vita and you get this PlayStation TV, you can sort of play your game everywhere. But it's like a lot of a lot, you know, sort of a lot of hassle and a lot of accessories over time, uh, and a lot of expense, honestly. So here, it's sort of like, I, you know, I, I can see sort of Nintendo looking back and seeing all that stuff come together, and it's like, you know, we can do this in sort of a smart Nintendo way and just wrap it up together, um, especially when having. Uh, you know, the most powerful console isn't isn't a priority of theirs these days. Um, right. That that makes it nice and flexible too. Yeah, they've they've tried that and they've kind of gotten their asses handed to them. So to to just create fun and innovative, uh, different experiences is kind of like the new Nintendo way, which right, I'm all right. about. Like the the DS yeah. and the Wii and and the Wii U for all its faults, at least did did something different, and and you got to kind of applaud it for that. Yeah, and I think now like my you know I was I was basically a PS4 
just a PS4 guy for so long, for most of the time that I worked at, at Sony, or just a PlayStation guy, I should say. Um, and, you know, and I had a Vita as well, but I, this is the first Nintendo or Microsoft system I've had in a long time. Um, and now I think this combo of PS4 and Switch like fits really nicely into my life. Uh, I'm still not sure where Xbox comes in. I'm, I'm open to it if they have some killer game, but, uh, you know, I don't have an Xbox One X pre-ordered. Um, and I don't sort of see any reason why I would right now, but I'm, I'm open-minded about it because it really is about, you know, if there is some, some killer games and, again, a way that it fits into my life in a smart way, I'm all about it. But, you know, where I used to be a three-console guy, that, that has changed. Sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, I last generation, I was totally that Wii 60 person. And right. this generation, even though it doesn't have a cutesy name, although I'll just come up with one off the top of my head. What about a P Switch 4? Right. That's <laughs> that's the kind of gamer Switch, I am today. Switch station. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's that's play, better. Play switching. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, I definitely see those those systems covering pretty much all your bases unless you want to play like Halo or Forza or Gears or something. Um, right, right. Or, or at the moment Cuphead, which also looks incredible. Um, so what, uh, you, you've written about Shadow of the Colossus. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask. We've got a remake of Shadow of the Colossus coming out next year. Um, how excited are you for this game? Um, I'm I'm glad it exists and I am excited. <laughs> I have sort of weirdly mixed feelings about it. Uh, I, I'm mostly glad that a lot more people will have access to the game because um, right now I think you know either if you want to play the the sort of nice, very nicely remastered um, uh, PS3 versions, um, which were also done by Bluepoint, who's doing this new one, so they did a great job. And but th- you know that to me is sort of the peak of that game. Um, it, it held up really well. Uh, those ports are fantastic, um, but it is a bit of a hassle now. Either you have to have a PS3, or you, I think you can stream them through PlayStation now, but you know not everyone is into that. Um, so I think just having like a nice updated version for everyone is great. Um, you know they've talked about sort of like cleaning up the controls a bit, um, which I assume will be the default in the game, which I'm not as crazy about. I think uh, you know I think Fumitoeda designs things in a very intentional way, and I can see why there's friction with some people, but for me, like that's what the game is, and that's important to the experience. So. I'm a little wary of sort of, you know, being sort of have the, the you know, corners smoothed out. Um, but I'm open-minded to it. Um, and, you know, and it seems like it is a pretty sort of straight uh, re- remake, as it were. There's not new content or anything, as far as I know. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited to play it. I mean, I played through it probably six times while I was writing my book. And, you know, I will, I will go through it again. And I will go look at all the new pretty corners of it. Um, and I'm actually really interested. So there's this guy uh, known as Nomad online um, who is sort of the the world's foremost like Shadow of the Colossus uh, sort of discoverer of secrets and hacker yeah, you, and whatever. you talk about torn, him a lot in, in the book, right? Yeah, so he's really torn apart the game. I've chatted with him on email a bunch. And, um, you know, his, his blog on the game is like the most comprehensive uh, – work i've ever seen about anything ever literally um like it's just it's just reams and reams of like going into every little corner of the world and different theories coming up and it's it's super interesting and there's sort of more than any one person can reasonably read uh but i'm really curious also to go see his and you know he did that with um he's done it with eco and he did it with uh last guardian as well but i think there's sort of there's less sort of leftover weirdness in that game um but i'm really curious now to see him actually do that um if he can with uh uh, to whatever extent he can with the remake, because um, I'm curious about sort of the weird leftover bits of data and scenery and things that were in the original, if those are going to be sort of ripped out now or or left in but untouched. Or I'm really curious about things like that. Like, I, you know, I've gone so far down the rabbit hole with that game that there's lots of weird elements like this that I'm like, those are the reasons I'm most excited about, not just not just playing the game, but sort of the weird other uh, implications for the culture of the game. Definitely. So, like Shadow of the Colossus, I've it, it's one of my favorite games of all time for for sure. Uh, but it's a game I've played through one time, and and I oh, have I've been very much of the mind where I, you know if I play this game again, it's just going to become ordinary, or it's going to somehow taint that first that first playthrough, like where everything right. felt so intense every every moment because I was feeling it for the first time. So I've been really scared to go back and I yeah. keep telling myself I'm going to go back or oh I'll play it back on my PS2 or oh yeah the HD collection just came out okay I'll I'll get that and then I have a, a <laughs> still in the plastic wrap <laughs> version oh, of so, that. So, so you played it on PS2 originally? Yeah, totally. Oh uh, wow, interesting. Okay. Uh, I played it in college. I didn't have a PS2 for a long time and I finally borrowed a friend's and borrowed the game cuz I needed to play this thing. 
and uh and so that's that's my experience with the playstation 2 i I end up owning one now in a lot of games uh but really it was just to play shadow so how are you feeling about it now do you think you're gonna you're gonna go for it or you still want to sort of keep your experience uh pristine i think i am but i think it's because of the reasons you just laid out that that you are a little worried about it and it's because it is going to be a different game and a different experience and and even though it tells the same story, like maybe there will be enough stuff different that for some reason my brain can compartmentalize and go, okay, this is a different thing. It right. won't ruin your previous experience. And I mean, the the one that almost got me to do it was, of course, you, um, where I read I read the Shadow Colossus book, and it was awesome, and it reminded me of all these times. And I went, okay, well. I'm definitely got to go do it now. And then I, for some reason, my willpower, willpower held out. Or, or I think maybe after I read it, I had, uh, there was the uh, reveal that, that Shadow was being remade. And I went, okay, well, I'll stop and and wait for that then. Right, right, yeah. Um, yeah, so, actually, I, I mean, I haven't even thought about this much. But, I, uh, you know, some people have thought about my book as sort of a, a companion's guide, which I like. I think that's the best way to think about the book. Um, and, and I guess I'm looking forward to, now that I'm thinking about it, sort of, uh, encouraging people to do that if they're playing the remake and that's their first experience with the game of maybe like you know play play you know play a colossus play a level essentially and then go read about it in the book and get some sort of historical perspective on it absolutely yeah i mean there is something to be said about playing that game without the context and and getting it firsthand but then to go back and to to read like you said the historical text and and some of the the context that gets into why things are the way they are, or at least like what the code names were for the Colossi before, right? You know, they're the unnamed ones in the in the actual final release. Um, like that that stuff is super fascinating. Whether you're playing the game or or whether you've already played it, or whether you haven't played it at all, and and I mean, you should probably play it before you read the book. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but definitely just buy the book first. I can go ahead and get that get that out of the way, and then. Then you yeah, jeez, what are you waiting to. for? <laughs> uh, well, let's uh, let's end on that note. Um, Nick, uh, tell me tell me where we can find you on the internet. Uh, probably at N Sutner on Twitter with two T's. That's probably the best single place. Um, I also opened up nicksutner.com, uh, open for business, uh, mostly just to sort of give myself somewhere to like dump uh, a lot of things that I've done in one place um, for easy perusal. Um, but uh, yeah, those are good places. Nice. Yeah, I definitely recommend the Twitter. Uh, you get to hear uh, about cool mobile games that, that Nick is playing and music that he's listening to or concerts that he can't go to and is selling tickets to. <laughs> and you live in St. Louis and so you can't get those tickets from him. Yeah, it's a, it's, mm. <laughs> it's a great Twitter account. Um, <laughs> well, and, yeah, and, and lots of retweeting really sort of weird, uh, disturbing medieval art and things. Yeah. That's the thing. Is, it's a good place to find me. I don't know that I recommend following me. I mean, I like my <laughs> account, but it's not for everybody. Uh, that was good. Yeah, the, the somewhat disturbing art. And it's like, hey, tag me in this. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then obviously the book as well uh, you can get that at bossfightbooks.com that will also be in the show notes uh, Shadow of the Colossus and then definitely check out some of the other good boss fight books there um, like we mentioned a couple here that are that are definitely good ones um, uh, I've read through the Chrono Trigger one and, and Earthbound and yeah, Earthbound's uh, really good as well. ZZT was uh, Earthbound was the first one, yeah, yeah, uh, and then uh, ZZT I thought by Anna Anthropy was was also fantastic. That's a game I haven't played, and to right. hear her talk about it is getting me to go and discover how to play that game nowadays on a MacBook Pro, uh, which isn't um, isn't very easy. Yeah, I, um, another one too I was going to mention is uh, Bible Adventures. Actually, that Gabe wrote, who runs the whole series, yeah, um, is a really interesting one. The story of that game is pretty nuts. I will I will have to buy that one and get that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, as for Gamers on the Go, GamersOnTheGo.com is where you can go to find all of the episodes. Uh, or you can talk to the show at GOTG Podcast on Twitter. Um, and then next month, uh, we've got our Game of the Year episode coming out. Um, and and that should be good, hopefully. Like it's, been a, it's been a really good year for games, so... Uh, yeah, I want to uh, know what your game of the year is, but I guess I'm going to have to wait to find out next month. Yeah, and honestly, it's not it's not determined yet. Uh, there there are some pretty good contenders, um, so I I'm see. I've been having I've been struggling to even make a top five. Like to to cut to cut down my list enough to make a top five is is really difficult. Right, um, right. 
But since you fair. won't be on that podcast, it's totally fair for me to ask what your handheld game of the year is. Oh, man, handheld game of the year. <laughs> well, uh, so I, I heard you were considering Switch stuff, so I, I suppose I have to think about that, although I probably haven't played enough uh, of anything there to really meaningfully think about it. Um, I mean, Mario's, you know, Mario's lots of fun. It's hard to think about it as a handheld game, but but maybe. Yeah. Um, let's see. I'm, I'm looking at my phone, actually, because that's where I do play a lot of my mobile gaming. Like, we can just make um, this easier and say that Drop 7 is still the game of the year for 2017 and all years going forward. That's probably true. Um, <laughs> it's just the perennial game of the forever uh, on mobile. All right. Um, I'm trying to think. Did I think uh, Hidden My Game by Mom Two came out this oh, year? Oh yes, that's another that's correctly. another Nick Sutner uh, influence right there. I, <laughs> I man, that first game is so good, and that second so game is is just the first game all over again, and it's great, pretty much. But I think that that's would probably be my my portable pick for the year. Um, it's it's some I managed to be like, manages to be as great as the original game. Um, and, and there's another one like, too. You know, you can. Um, another it, hidden my game, or you mean uh, other games by them? Well, it's it's a sequel to that. It, uh, he does make a bunch of other games, but it's a sequel to that. Except you play as the sister. Oh uh, yeah, my brother, my brother, at my pudding. Yes, yes, yep, yeah, yeah, uh. for sure. Also, also really good. Um, yeah, I just love, I love those guys. But I, yeah, I think hidden my game, my mom too, is probably my my mobile pick of the year. Um, I've been playing some other interesting stuff recently. Like I don't know if you've checked out a Million Onion Hotel yet. Uh, I saw a trailer for it. It looks nuts. Yeah, it's really nuts. Really like fun and and frantic and weird and just like all these things that I enjoy. Um, um, there's probably others too that I'm not that aren't like jumping to mind right now. Um, and, and again, I'm sure there's like great stuff uh, on Vita too that I just sort of haven't like. Sadly, it doesn't sort of fit into my life right now, like I mentioned, because I think Switch is like my portable system du jour. Right. Um, but I'm sure there's some great stuff that came out there this year too that I probably displayed on PS4. Uh, Undertale came to Vita this year. Oh yeah, very nice. I actually, I still, I've barely touched that. I only played a bit on PS4, and I never played it on PC, sadly. So that's a big missing part of my indie indie vocabulary right now. Yeah, I played a good portion of it uh, on on my MacBook Pro, uh, and you know, again, playing on a trackpad, not that fun. Uh, sure. So I think uh, I think I might have to go back and play the Vita version now, or or PS4. Right, right. Like either one of those yeah. are are solid. Yeah. Uh, well, very cool. Well, Nick, I, I want to thank you for coming on. This was this was great. Like many years in the making, and and uh, you know sometimes they say don't meet your heroes, and uh, <laughs> and I don't think that applies here. Well, that's very very kind of you. <laughs> no, it's my my I'm very honored to be on the show, and I appreciate you. Um, you know, I mean, we've talked about it over the years, but I've been in various situations where it's been tough to like do a lot of external podcasts. So I appreciate you sticking with me and still making time for it. Um, so it's really exciting to finally be on. Hopefully, it won't be the last time, um, and I'll be tuning in as a fan for your game of the year episode. Well, I haven't done a Drop 7 episode yet. I've gotten close. Oh, yeah, okay. I've gotten real close. I've, well, I've... I'm pretty sure I can get you Frank, so you let me know. That would be awesome, because <laughs> yeah. uh, I've contacted... I've sent a message to Frank before, uh, and then I've also sent... Um, <laughs> I talked to Zynga PR uh, for a little bit. Uh, that was that was fun. That was a fun time. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, that sounds I, like fun. I love that game, uh, and if I yeah, we should get, get Frank, and we should get we should get Asher, and then you and I, and we'll just do like a roundtable. Yeah, we'll do. Uh, in fact, we can make it a drop seven slash threes podcast. I think that sounds nice. Great. So I like it. So now we have to do it. We said it. Cool. All right. Yeah, I'll be back for that. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Game of the Year episode comes out next month. Nick, thank you, and I'll talk to you soon. Cool. Take it easy. <laughs>